Finley's Thoughts is brought to you via Anchor.fm. You can find us here, you can listen to previous podcast episodes, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and other places. Also, we want your opinion. Send us an email at finleysthoughts at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at, at finleysthoughts. I know he'd appreciate it. How do I know that? Because it's me. This is Finley, and you're listening to Finley's Thoughts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Finley's Thoughts. This is your host, Finley. First and foremost, I want to apologize for the downtime. Um, It could not be avoided. I have been sick for most of the last two weeks with some serious congestion that led to sore throat, which led to all kinds of good times and fun. Um, I'm better now, and I... uh, am here talking to you today. I uh, just got home about 10 minutes ago or so from a road trip. And this road trip is one that has kind of led to this, uh, this episode's topic. And it comes about because of some experiences we had on this, uh, this trip. I went back and visited Oklahoma City with my wife to go visit family and that trip is always fun it's always a good time to see her family they enjoy my presence I truly enjoy theirs and we had some stuff happen on this trip that I'm going to get into in the third segment but it reminded me about the things that we do for love it's an old cliche really um there are numerous songs, including one actually called The Things We Do for Love, that are out there written about the depths that we go and the steps that we take to reaffirm and reassert our love for another person or another thing, whatever it may be. And I've had some experience with this. Even before I met my wife, I had experience with this, because obviously love is not limited to just romantic love. And although I have an example of the things we do for romantic love, I'm not just going to talk about that this time around. I'm going to talk about a couple of experiences that I had that were not based on romantic love. The first one was about 16 and a half years ago. Now, to give you some perspective on this, I had just moved to Austin, Texas from my uh, home state, and I was miserable. Oh, I was miserable. I was in a car that was 12 years old at that point and kind of ready to to peter out. Um, When I went to go get the car looked at for a potential road trip back home, one that was going to decide whether or not I would stay in Austin. Um, I found out the belts were shredded inside of it and that the thing was just barely moving along. Um, I had a secondary radiator put into it about a year before because the previous one had rusted out. I uh, basically was in no position to replace this car at any point, so I got the belts replaced it had a wicked shimmy when you went above 50 miles per hour. This car was a piece of trash, but it was all I could have. 
I couldn't afford anything else. I couldn't even afford insurance on the car at that point. This was not, well, I had insurance. That's not accurate. I couldn't afford necessarily paying it all the time. That's important for later, by the way. And so, after getting belts put in it, oil change, getting the car to the point where it would at least be functional, I hopped in it the night before Thanksgiving 2001, and I made a trek to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Or at least, I started to. I did not complete this trek. About 40 miles outside of Round Rock, Texas, which is where I live, I was hit head-on by a car that was traveling around 100 miles per hour when a tire burst on it, and it started spinning out of control with the driver asleep behind the wheel. To this day, I don't know how I walked away from it without a scratch, at least physically. I looked at myself, I looked at everything that was going on, um, this car that was the only vehicle that I had available to me was total, just completely trashed. Couldn't do anything with it. And I was in a situation where I did not know what I was going to do. Now, this happened at about 1.45, 2 o'clock in the morning. By the time I am sitting in a police station in Elgin, Texas, it is around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I am stuck. I've called my siblings to let them know what's going on. And I knew that I did not want one other person to hear what was going on third hand or second hand. And so, despite the fact that I had not spoken to him for about three and a half years at that point, I called my father. And he did not answer. His uh, co-worker did. But I was told, we'll let him know what's going on. He'll call you right back. What's your number? So I gave my number. And sure enough, within 20 minutes, I get a phone call from my father. Where are you? I'm here. Are you okay? Yes. What do you need? I said, I don't know. He said, okay, when do you have to be back at work? And I said, Monday. He said, okay. I'm going to come get you. We're going to get you another vehicle to ride in for now. You can borrow one of mine. I've got an extra one. And you can hold on to it until you're able to get another car. And I said, okay. And he did. Now, I'll never forget what happened the next night. This was Thanksgiving night at this point. I had spent a quiet, lonely day in an apartment where we did not plan for anyone to be home for the holiday. Everyone was planning on being out of town. And so my Thanksgiving meal that night was Pop-Tarts and Cheetos that I had gotten for the drive that did not happen. My father went home from work, slept, and then got in his van with his wife and drove the eight and a half hours to come get me. And I remember when they showed up. My dad 
was loading a couple things into his van and I said, let me talk to you for a minute. And I pulled him over and I said, I know we're not really good right now, but I want you to know I appreciate what you're doing and I won't forget this. I really appreciate everything you've just done. And he looked at me and said, man, it's okay. I love you. And that's the first time I saw the things that people will really do for love. At least something that affected me directly. Now, obviously that's not the first time something like that actually happened. When I was a kid, of course, your parents take care of you and they, they do things that you don't realize are happening. But they still happen. And... It was the first time I had a full realization of a sacrifice being made for love, for me. Now, that's incredibly obtuse when you think about it, but I was very young. I was 22 when this happened. 20, no, I would have been 23 when this happened. And you're young. You don't realize the sacrifices people make for you. You don't realize the things that people do, that your, your parents especially, the sacrifices that they make, the long hours that they work, the, the extra time they put in towards making sure you are taken care of as a human being and as their child. You don't get these things. So it was only as an adult that I truly recognized for the first time the sacrifice one would make for love. But that's not the only time. And when we come back, I'll tell you about a different kind of sacrifice made for love in the second segment of Finley's Thoughts. The second kind of sacrifice, or at least things we do for love segment that I want to talk about actually goes back a little bit more recently than the one that we just discussed this one's only about three years old well three to five I guess and it involves me and my then girlfriend the woman who's now my wife within the first couple of years of us dating we kind of knew how good things were and we knew that things were heading in the right direction she knew that my job might take me to other places as it had already done by taking me to where I was. And so one day I asked her, what would you do if I got transferred to another location? She said, well, we'll talk about it, but I can do my job anywhere. And that was the point that I knew that this was really really serious. And sure enough, about two years ago, a little over in fact, it happened. Now, I want you to keep this context in mind. At the point where this happens, as context, my wife and I are closing on a house. We have found a place we want to live. 
We are engaged, but not yet married, and haven't really discussed where or when we want to get married. But we knew we wanted to be together, and we knew that the house was kind of one of the next steps. In our own plan, that is. And so, we are moving forward. She has put down $1,000 of earnest money towards everything moving forward on the house. This is also important for a little bit uh, from now. And this is when I find out that the site that I'm reporting to for my company is closing, shutting down completely. And I am given the opportunity to start reporting to another site. And that site is our Austin location. I'm in Oklahoma City. That presents a bit of a problem. Now, as far as the job goes, things get straightened out, and I am offered a package to move back down to uh, Austin, as we've discussed before. But this presents a problem for me and my fiance at the time because we're closing on a house. We've put down a lot of money towards this. And so I have to tell her look, this is what's going on, they may be tr uh, transferring me. Her first response, of course, was expected. What, are you serious? Yes, I'm very serious. Okay. Well, how long do we have? This is important. Because when you're closing on a house, you've got a window of opportunity to back out of the deal if you absolutely have to, but you lose money in the process. Um, and this all happens very quickly. In short order, we have to cancel our purchase of this house. I find a way to give my wife $1,000 back for the earnest money. That was her investment. And I begin the process of packing up everything I own once more and finding a place to live in Austin, Texas. During this, my wife and I also decide, okay, we're going to get married as well. We're going to get married in September. This presents a second problem because my wife is in school at this point and she does not graduate until December. Okay, what do we want to do about that? And the answer presented itself pretty quickly to us. We weren't going to break up, but we would spend at least a weekend, a month each at the other person's location until she graduated in December. We were getting married in September, which means that for the first three months of our wedding and marriage to each other, we would not be living together. We'd see each other about once every two weeks. And so that began the longest seven months of our lives. I made the move, found a place, 
about a year ago, right around now, I moved into it. Pardon me, about three years ago, right about now. My wife continued studying, continued her schooling, and for the summer worked in Oklahoma City while I worked here in Austin. And we would see each other about once every other weekend. That was tough. It was tough because, number one, six and a half to seven hour drive each way. So that's 14 hours of driving to see each other for about two days. During the summer, she would come down for a week or so. So she didn't work very much. And she would hang out with me there. And then she'd have to go back up north. And whenever we would split up from those times, it was rough. I won't lie, it was very rough. Now complicating all of this was the fact that we had a wedding to plan. And so I was involved in that. She was involved in that. And for the course of the next three and a half months, we were putting this thing together while a lot of the time we weren't seeing each other. The wedding eventually happens in September. It goes off without a hitch. We spent about a week or so with each other afterwards, although I had to work. And inevitably, we had to split back up to be able to finish off her schooling while I worked in Austin. Now I talked about the fact that the seven months were tough, but those last three months were especially rough. And I spent a lot of time alone during that period of time. When I tell you that I was missing her, it's not a small matter. Like, even now I think about it and it kind of gets me down a little bit. But I was counting down the days. And sure enough, after her final exam, my wife goes home, packs a bag. And she's calling me, talking about all the stuff that's happened with school and finishing that up and getting herself ready and finally it's the day of and she drives down and I will never forget how happy I was when she was finally here we had a few months in that apartment from that point on it was a tiny tiny place and we didn't have all of the comforts that we wanted we didn't have all of the things with us that we needed we didn't have our dog with us. Um, we didn't have a lot of things going on. But it was, it was our first home. And so when we got to that point where we actually had our first home, we made sure that we had our creature comforts. And one of those things included a creature, Harley, our dog. And Harley plays into my final story for you this episode of The Things That We Do For Love, which you'll hear about in the next segment of Finley's Thoughts. 
I've spoken before about our big dumb fur baby. Point of fact, the last episode that I did before the forced hiatus, uh, I discussed pets and Harley. As I mentioned, we went up to Oklahoma City this weekend. Uh, we just got back a little less than an hour ago. We got back with a dog that was not well. When we got up there Friday night, little uh, or Saturday morning, a little after midnight, I should say, Harley went outside and used the restroom, as dogs are wont to do. And she came back in. Nothing seemed to miss, but the next morning she didn't want to eat. And she eventually did have a little bit of stuff. She went outside, and we know she ate a bunch of grass because she threw it up. In fact, she threw up four times that day. Now that night, my wife and I were sitting there and talking, and we said, do we want to bring her to the, the vet hospital? And I said, honestly, if you're asking that question, you know what the answer is. This is 11.30 at night. We've been worried about the dog all day. And so we packed up, got her in my truck, and a little after midnight, showed up at a 24-hour vet hospital. We spent four hours there at that point. A lot of this time was spent waiting. Um, most of it, in fact. During this point of time, Harley was scared, cold. The floor of the vet office and the table were very cold because they kept it at a very chilly temperature. And so a lot of this time was spent comforting her, letting her know we were right there, making sure she knew we weren't going anywhere. And I stood behind my wife and beside her as we kept the dog as comfortable as we could. And eventually the doctor came in and he looked at her and said, we are going to do some blood work. We can do an x-ray as well. And we said, please do the x-ray. Um, we waited for quite a bit longer after that. They came and got her, did the blood work, did the x-rays. We waited again. This is at the point where I find out that the pet hospital coffee is in fact a ruse designed to get you to try it so that you throw it away and then get a, one of these sodas that they sell as opposed to the free coffee. By the way, I don't know if you got that, but that is in fact a racket, I'm convinced, at hospitals now. The doctor pulled us aside about 345 and showed us the x-rays and showed us the blood work and said, you know, she looks fairly healthy, but, you know, clearly there's still something going on. Um, in this case, it may be an infection, so we're going to give her some antibiotics. We're going to pump some fluid into her, and we're going to use some medication. And we wait some more. They take her to go do this. And they bring her back to us. 
At this point, it's about 4.15 in the morning. We had been up since 6.45 the previous morning. Now, I'm used to long hours. I've, I've gotten used to them over the years. My wife is not. But she never left her dog's side. Hasn't left her dog's side since then. Harley hasn't eaten anything since Saturday morning. I think she's afraid. And we've managed to get some peanut butter into her by putting it under her lips and on her gums. And that's worked. She's she's actually ingested that. So she's had that to eat, I should say. But beyond some water that she's finally able to keep down, she's not really having much of anything. We've given her some Pedialyte, and that stayed in, thankfully. And at this point, we're just trying to take care of things. And as we were driving home on our seven-hour drive from Oklahoma City back to the Austin area, I heard Harley breathing hard. And it got me worried. And I stopped the radio, and I looked at my wife, and I said, do you hear her breathing? And my wife was asleep, and she woke up, and she listened. She goes, she doesn't sound like she's panting. She sounds like she's just breathing fast. But if she decides that she can't go on any longer and she does expire, we need to get her out of the truck pretty quick. And I said, do you really think that that's a possibility? My wife said, I don't know. Uh, the pessimist side of me says it is. The, the hopeful side thinks that she'll be okay. And I said, okay. We got her home. But the fact that my wife had to consider that really saddened me. Harley's ten and a half years old. She's almost eleven. She's lived a long life. But I know that my wife is not ready for that moment. I know I'm not ready for that moment. Point of fact, thinking about it just now kind of made my eyes burn a little. But when it comes, we will do everything we can to make her comfortable. To make sure she's taken care of and that she knows she's loved. Because that's what you do for love. You go through all the rough times. The calls after midnight. The times taking care of your loved ones. The long distance trips. The crazy planning for a wedding that doesn't take place in either city you live in. The three months of not seeing each other, in our case. All the hard times, all the positive times which outweigh those hard times. Those are the things, the sacrifices and the joys, the pain and the pleasure that we get and that we go through for love. And I wouldn't miss any of it. Because much like when people ask me, would you change anything in your life? My answer remains the same. Absolutely not. I would keep things exactly the way they are because they got me to where I am right now. Sitting in this house. Getting ready to go talk to my dog. Make sure she's okay. And sitting next to my wife. Making sure she's okay. 
because that's what I can do for love. I know this is kind of a downer episode tonight, but it's one that I've wanted to get out of me since I was sitting in the hospital. I knew that the ending of this one might go one of a couple different ways, and so far, thankfully, it's going positive. Harley's drinking more. She's taking care of herself as much as she can. She's walking slowly. She's still nervous about going upstairs and stuff. She's still bloated. And that's from not eating or drinking much in the last few days. We think she got food poisoning. But we also think that she'll be better. That's all I can hope for. So on that note, folks, uh, you will get another episode from me this week. I'm looking forward to it. I do start a new schedule, but that won't affect um, my ability to provide you with another episode. So with that in mind, uh, thank you very much for listening. This is Finley. You're listening to Finley's Thoughts, and we'll talk next time. I'm out.